Hey everybody, what's going on? You are listening to the Playing On Podcast. My name is Carl Markowski and thank you for joining me. We are, let's see, what's today? Uh, today is Saturday and I had a little time. I've been uh, been pretty busy getting back to uh, to somewhat on track with everything, but was able to kind of go through my DSR, lube that thing up, clean it up. Um, and while I was doing that, I was thinking about Bobby. Uh, as most of you probably know, we had another uh, high-profile player in the game who, it, it, to me, was uh, a special guy, um, Bobby Avila's. You know, I didn't know him as well as a lot of people out there. Um, you know, him especially coming out of the, uh, you know, the California camp and everything, and had a tremendous impact on on a good amount of the players around my age, a little bit younger, and many that I don't even know. Um, but to me. For the small amount of time that I knew Bobby and the the small amount of time that I got to hang out with him and share laughs and memories and, and all that, he had a very tremendous impact. I mean, he was, he called me Carlos. I remember, it was just like, he had this kind of glow to him and, and life and this outlook, which was... You know, he got down to business when he was on the field and everything. And when he was off, he was the kindest, um, you know, nicest guy and would, you know, take the shirt off his back for you. And that says a lot. You know, I, it's just, it, it really hits home because Bobby is, you know, around my age and had me thinking just, how um how volatile just everything you know everything could go away uh tomorrow today um at really any moment and how all of our decisions uh really kind of dictate where we go in life and i have been very much trying to live uh, with this new kind of um, motto, or I don't want to say motto, mantra, whatever it is, but uh, you know, I heard it and it really st- kind of hit home with me. And it was every decision that you make is a vote for your future self. And as hard, as easy as that is to say, it's it's very hard to do, um, but also easy at the same time because you know you're making decisions all the time so um but it just had me you know everything I was doing this morning and everything you just had me thinking about Bobby and um you know how grateful I am to have been able to know him play with him play against him and uh share time with him which is kind of you know really all we have um is is time to uh to make memories and and make the best of what we have in this world and with this time and uh i i really you know it's he's gonna be missed greatly 
And and like I said, I didn't know him as closely as a lot of these guys, but that I didn't need to because he had such a uh, you know profound impact in such a short amount of time and uh, the, the little amount that I did know him. Um, it just sucks, man. It's uh, it's it's a loss for the you know the paintball world and for those a tremendous loss for those who are very close to him and um i just really hope that uh that you know he finds his peace and wherever and and however that may be um yeah dude it just sucks man um but it also you know it's one of those things where it's it's there's now a void and this loss and you know you have to kind of move on and live with it and and just kind of take what you've learned from him and from anybody who's passed and take that and carry that onto the next generations and 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 bring what he has contributed and bring that and and carry that into uh into the future to let other people benefit from it um you know and and to take advantage of the time that you have you know i'm trying not to ramble on too much but you know i'm just saying that he did uh he had an impact on me and i felt like i had just had to say something about it and uh, it's another one that just just hits home it just sucks but um but yeah this uh anyway this miss you bobby by the way love you buddy and this episode is with uh, Mr. Mike Zupa. He is one of the stars because all those guys on Impact are stars, man. He's one of the he's one of the killers on Edmonton Impact. He made a statement in at the last event in Sacramento. He was just going to work on everybody and has really, really come into his own. Um, I wanted to kind of hit on something that we were talking about for a little bit, and it was cheating. Um, whether it be yourself, a teammate, whoever it is. And I, I just wanted to hit on top of something, uh, trying to make it clear that I don't condone cheating. Um, but it's just crazy how this, how this extra variable is very much a part of the game. And I feel like there's, you know, we, we talk about playing the gray um, in the podcast and it, you know, another reason it was brought up was because of the, you know, all the 10 mans and everything. And this is like a number one thing that is happening on these 10 man tournaments is you have just a ridiculous amount of cheating and I don't, how, I don't know how you fix it. And that does carry into the NXL or vice versa. Um, with people cheating and then with it being so prevalent it carries to the division side the divisions and the practice fields and everything else and it's you can't I mean you yes you make you make all your decisions um, consciously when you're out there and you're you know making these decisions on on um, you know did it break did it hit do I take another step do I do this do I you know I had a conversation um and we were talking about is getting hit in the leg or the hip and sliding into a corner. Is that wiping a hit? 
I mean, is it's it's not taking your hand and physically wiping a hit off of your loader, but it's it's taking a hit off of your body. And, you know, should that be a major? Should that be a gross major? Should it, you know, and I, and I feel like we just can't, people get caught and some of the best cheaters don't get caught. And, and, and some of, I, I don't know, it's just, it's such a sore subject. It's like, you know, paintball players talking about it. You know, you have some who are just like so for it. You have some who are not maybe not for it, but they'll do it and they'll just they don't care. Then you have some who are just completely against it, who say they don't, but who knows? And then you have some in the middle. I feel like I'm like I'm in the middle. Like I will I will stretch it as far as I can. This doesn't say that I'm going to cheat or it doesn't say that I'm just too righteous not to. Uh, but I feel like it's like a happy kind of gray area to where you have to you have to play that gray area, man. I feel like that is also where, um, you know, some tournaments are won or lost could be in the gray area. Because I'm, I don't know how many times I've had players come back into the pits or anything like that. And they're like, oh, man, I had to get rid of that one or I had to do this or I had to do that. I was like, oh, I didn't even. I didn't even know. I wouldn't even have known that you cheated if you didn't tell me that you just cheated. So, you know, I, I think it happens a lot more than what we think. But like I said, you know, playing the gray, it's it's a hairy area because if you get caught, you are costing your team a a point, a couple points, momentum, um, respect. It's it's. It's, that's why we call it the gray, man. It's it's not it's not all bright and happy, and it's not the darkest place you could be, but it's the gray. It's that uh, it, it's if you want you play it at your own risk, and um, I I you know that's all I have to say about it. You know, I just wanted to make myself clear before I go into the podcast with Mike about my intentions on that. I'm, I'm not telling people they should cheat. I'm not telling people they shouldn't. I mean, you shouldn't, but ultimately it's up to you. It's up to the player. It's it's up to them making the decision. And I mean, obviously you're not you're not going to earn respect on on any given pro team, any team if you're just a constant cheater and you keep getting caught. I'm not saying good cheaters but I I feel like I'm contradicting myself. But I just feel like there's there's a line that you don't cross and you know you you will you will gain a reputation if you if you cheat and you get caught and even if you don't get caught and players see you and you continue to do so you will gain a reputation even inside of your peer group of professional players that you are are slimy man you are are sneaky slimy and you have you will have that reputation for a long time um so like i say i do not condone cheating um i think it's up to the individual and if you are feeling froggy then that's completely up to you but don't get caught because there will be repercussions, you know, not only on the field, but I guarantee you there will be um, with the team that you're on, too. Or who knows? Maybe you're on a fucking team full of cheaters. And that's your goal is to get as many penalties and wipe as many hits as possible. 
I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't know everybody. I don't know everybody's intention. That sounds like a terrible intention if it is, if you want to win. But, I mean, to each their own, I guess. Um, All right. Enough of my blabbing. You guys get what I'm trying to lay down. Maybe. Who knows? But we'll see. We will see. Uh, I had a great conversation with Mike, by the way. Um, it was it was cool hearing his take on on the events, on where he think paint where he thinks paintball is, and how uh, how he think paintball is how he thinks paintball is going to change and where the where the sport is currently at the moment. I love hearing mindsets. That's uh, that's my biggest thing, man. I love I love hearing people's stories and on and their background and where they come from and everything. But I love hearing everybody's different perspectives and mindsets in uh, in how they kind of approach the game mentally, physically, um, and, and what motivates them into into their position where they are. So, uh, so yeah, enough of my blabbing. Here is the podcast with Mike Zupa. I'm curious to see where it goes, and it's just a pleasure to, to talk to you. I've been a big fan for a while, so yeah, dude, I I appreciate it, man. I I remember <laughs> when I first heard about uh, Mike Zupa was the Revo days, and you yeah. coming up there, and but I don't really just like there's just like so many people that play paintball that I've heard of or I've pl- I've played against, I've heard of. I've shook hands with in you know in the line at the end of the, of games and matches, but I I don't know the backstory and I think this is one of the main reasons why I enjoy doing the podcast is because you actually be able to sit down and hear that backstory of the person who had a similar journey to you and they shared they shared that moment you know a, a moment with you at that you know because I think it's just it's very mundane when we all share the same, like we get up, we take shit, we eat breakfast, blah, blah, blah. But when you share a moment with somebody that you put a lot of time and effort and blood, sweat, tears, passion into, it's uh, a respect factor comes into it. And I think it's, it's really cool to hear how somebody else kind of went through the trenches to get to that same point in time and, um, and, and how they continue to do so. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. Everyone's got their own special story. Uh, and we all kind of overlap in some some serious similarities or some struggles yeah. or some uh, <laughs> learning experiences. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Everyone's everyone's got their own special sauce. Mhm. And, so, and, and ingredients I, I, are I, similar, but everybody's got a little little difference, little different spices. Yeah, so I, I do have a question. I mean, are we starting now? Uh, yeah, we can. Cool. Uh, I just want I wanted to hear a little bit just to catch up on like you took some time off from paintball. I saw you with LVL, but like I w- that's kind of vague or foggy of when you stopped and when you started and mm-hmm. what's been going on in between. So at the I stopped playing for the second time in 2018. So that's okay. so that's when I I kind of hung it up for the time being, and I was really completely just like good you know it was kind of on a i mean i would have liked to have had it on a on a on better terms because i don't think we even 
Uh, I think we went like one and three, or maybe just two and two at World Cup that uh, that season. And um, I, I just got to the point where it was like, what? What do I do? Like, do I do I continue to put a lot of time and effort and into something that's you know now not necessarily going to be as convenient because if I did want to continue, Aftershock was not going to be around. Um, and let's say I did go with another team that was if I if I made that decision, it wouldn't be with the team that was local. Right. It would have to be mm-hmm. I'd be traveling and with the traveling on top of like trying to also make time for the family. It just was it was that point where I was like, oh, man, I just got to I got to make that decision and making that I have been able to spend a lot more time with the family. Um, and in that span of. Uh, whatever it was like three years or whatever it is three years seems to be like the, <laughs> the point where i'm like okay i need to play paintball again because it was like the same <laughs> amount of time when i first yeah. retired but um it was it was kind of one of those like okay well the kids have they've grown up they they're a little bit more uh able to take care of themselves and i also kept in with paintball with the podcast one two with starting and playing um so mechanical events and doing those, playing some 10 mans, which are great. I love 10 oh, mans. Yeah, those are a blast. Um, <laughs> the only two things that I don't like about 10 mans, one is the obnoxious amount of cheating, yeah. um, which is just <laughs> flagrantly happening. Like, which I, and I don't know that that can be another tangent, but, but it, there's that, um, there's the, the, the effort that's happening right now of everybody's trying to shoot as fast as they can mechanically, which makes no sense to me because who cares? Because you have like a loader that can feed that amount. Like I, and people who have listened to the podcast before, like my whole thing is like, I think if they want to make it true mechanical and make it to where, um, it's not some mechanical speed fest, like make an agitated loader. Like, or, or do something to where it's not a force feed. It's an agitated feed, not necessarily, not gravity, like, but we can go a little bit more, but like, at least have it agitated. But then it's like, you have to be, you can't have these guys like fanning the trigger and double triggering it, but then you're going to have other people like, Oh, you can do it. And it's just like, okay, whatever you want to make it, you want to make it a pure mechanical thing. Then like have an agitated loader where you have to like be conscious of how you're shooting your marker and not yeah. just completely like trying to machine gun everything because you can. I, mean, I will say that I think it's cool that they were able to get mechanical guns to cycle that fast, and that you could. It's, it's fascinating oh, yeah. that technology has progressed that much. But I mean, I've seen how fast some of them shoot, and I think that does maybe uh, affect the 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 ten man game more than I would have liked. I, it, I, it takes the purity I'm almost out of the mechanical. I'm just one sh- one shot all day. That's all you need, baby. <laughs> Six, seven balls a second. <laughs> but yeah, some of those guys are shooting ropes out there. Yeah, and they're gonna. And I mean, their arguments can be well, because I I can do it, so I'm going to do it. And you know, don't be mad because I can shoot fast. But it's like uh, okay, well, like if if that's the argument, then that's stupid. I don't mm-hmm. I don't have an answer for it. I I just think I just think it's silly, but. But anyway, humans will always push the buttons. Always, I mean, that's how that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, and, there, and it's always going to be like everybody's going to have a different view, no matter if it's like good, bad, and different. 
you know, you're going to have a group of people who are going to completely agree, and then you're going to have a whole different group of people that are going to completely be against whatever. doesn't matter if it's even on the line. It's going to be like, no, no. It's, it's like the whole political thing, right? If you agree mm-hmm. with one thing on the one side, oh, you, you lean that way. I'm like, yeah, come on, bro. I was listening to your podcast. I think it was with Tyler Fair about there's a there's a section about uh, like the MPPL days and how everybody even back then were figuring out ways to cheat. And that was kind of before my time a little bit, but I mm-hmm. knew that it was happening. And uh, like but the Bluetooth technology and there was always a way to kind of work around it. I just remember like you guys were talking about that and whatever it is, people are always going to push the buttons a little bit. And, oh, yeah. And uh, try to get the advantage. But I feel like with that, it kind of slowed down after, like, 2008. Like, I feel like there was this whole, like, connectivity thing of, like, making uh, aftermarket boards and making the making the uh, the marker communicate with the loader. And, like, there's all this – I mean, I, I the, the, we don't have that anymore because there's so many, like, independent – like, you just have Planet doing its thing. And I remember when oh – God, I sound so old when I say that. But it's like <laughs> I remember when we used to get uh, Planet Markers, and at the time, like they would voice their opinion about it, but it was it's it was still kind of up in the air because you still had CP, you had Hybrid, you had all these other you know smaller companies. So on my um, on my egos and stuff, I would have a CP reg. I would sometimes I would just, I was actually I shot a stock barrel a lot because the Planet Eclipse barrel shot uh, really well. Um, but then I would have like I would chains out change out the ASA at the bottom. Like I would do a whole bunch of different stuff because you could, you could do that. And now it's so much, so far one way to where they made it. And it's not that it's a bad thing, but they made it to where you can't change anything out. And also there are no like smaller companies making these pieces for these other, these other markers, unless you're talking about like the Emacs and stuff like that. But that's all, that's all still like, I don't know, the reg is still in line and you can't change out the mm-hmm. ASA unless it's theirs. And I was a big shocker guy. And mm-hmm. I mean, you had to get the feed neck, the, the trigger, the reg, the ASA. You had to upgrade the board. You're cool if you had a cool barrel. Get yeah. the barrel sleeve while you're at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought like there's an aspect of those days that I, I just I look back on very fondly because you could do so much to your gun. It was definitely yours and custom. Yeah, and then the technology continued to get refined, and I think we're seeing a little bit of that that swag come back. And do you have a do you have a tank dangle? I do have a tank dangle. Me too, (laughs) and that kind of reminds me of the old days. And so that's why I like to to use that or any of that personalization. I I really enjoy. I guess you could see the same transition with like cars or Mm -hmm. anything as as machines get more technologically advanced. Uh, there's less room for customization or, or even less need for it. But yeah. I do miss those days. Dude, yeah. And, we, you know, we have H2K has a product coming out that you're going to be able to personalize, uh, which is going to be really cool. We're hoping to have it by Chicago. Uh, we also have uh, something else possibly coming out. Okay. That's, uh, that's in the works. We have um, – Oh. Yeah, dude. It's it's. I'm excited. We. I mean, things have been a little kind of crazy, uh, hectic as of late, but – you know, it's it's kind of that uh, you get through that midway hump of the season, even though I haven't played anything yet. Um, mm-hmm. But certain circumstances haven't let me. But uh, it was cool seeing you guys. Uh, we're, uh, wait, 
hang on. So, okay, so I I got back into it uh, with Level because they had um, they had asked me to come back, and he was actually asking me the whole time. Uh, Dave was like, "Hey, come back! Hey, come back! Hey, come back!" And like for a few years before that, we were talking, and we were very close a lot of times, um, but it just hadn't really panned out until you know as of this past year. And um, yeah, just finally everything kind of clicked and was able to come back. Well, so far, I've been I've been doing a lot of practicing. Great yeah. to see you out there. Same. You know, it's it's like uh, I mean, I always would try to watch you on the field. You're wicked fast, and I need some tips, by the way, about that. But uh, <laughs> when I, it was a surprise to me to see you out there, and it just it was cool to be on the same field. So you didn't play this last tournament, did you? No, I didn't. I had to. Uh, so the Sacramento event was kind of a last minute thing for everybody, and I okay. didn't have that day off of work. Uh, put in so I and I wasn't able to some I I can usually t- figure out a way to make it work and I but this time my boss wasn't budging so I was like that eh, well, I just you know there's something I could do but it was really you good missed, seeing you guys man you missed a butt whooping out there I'm yeah. <laughs> it's like I love playing LVL <laughs> I'm really I'm really hoping to uh to jump on and kind of just get in the mix with the guys and, and help them out in any way that I can um I know the the practices are uh, are always a great thing. I always try to make it to as many practices as I can, uh, and just and just get out there and get my reps because God knows I have a ton of rust that I'm still knocking off. So um, so the more playing time, the better as far as that goes. Well, I think it's a good crew. I'm a personal, very big fan of LVL, and <clears throat> I think just because I was on some of the lower or second half, you know, bottom half pro teams for a while. To me, I had a, you know, which teams could we beat? Which teams are really good in that second half or that mm-hmm. second tier? And and that was several years ago. And, and now, I mean, looking at level, I always like to watch them in the prelims or take note and practice because they will guarantee try some unique things. Mm-hmm. And I think that they play very well together. Um, so I, I'm always trying to take some notes from them. Um, you know, sometimes we like to save things for day two or day three. But if you're looking closely, level typically shows a little bit of spiciness in the prelims and i think it's awesome so we got to play them twice this tournament and both times i i remember the team meeting i was like they're not going to play the same game at all you know it's going to be a completely different game plan and anyway i'm glad you're with them and hopefully at the next you going to chicago yeah yeah nice i'm excited dude i'm (laughs) i'm excited to play i was i was excited when we uh when we practiced you guys and everything it was it was good to get out there and uh kind of get another team you know under our belt as far as a high level team and it, it always practicing uh guys like yourself mouse um you know jay rat everybody on that team are just killers and it's really great to come out and and we appreciate it very much you guys coming out yeah i thought it was an awesome weekend too besides the snakes the snakes was a little bit much but <laughs> Dude, it's insane and then the turf on top of that i'm a big grass guy i like grass like there's a lot of people that are like no turf because it doesn't do this and it's this it's like i get it i get it but just me as a personal preference there's nothing that matches like a nice plush grass field that's like freshly cut that's maybe like you know three four inches maybe maybe a little maybe like three inches and it's just like Mm -hmm. nice and soft and slidey and Dreamfield. Turf can be the the in my opinion the best, or it can be the absolute worst. <laughs> it could oh, chew yeah. you up. But yeah, the the, uh, the turf at the event in Sacramento wasn't too bad actually, so it, it didn't chew us up. 
yeah. too horribly. Was the temperature um, up there? It was. I mean, south. I don't know where you're located. I'm in the southeast, and so it's just been brutal with oh, humidity. Yeah. So because it was drier out there, it wasn't too bad. Maybe just a little bit on uh, like Sunday afternoon. Then it was getting a little bit hot. Like before finals, I'm like it's getting <laughs> hot out here. Yeah, I need to cool it down. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm from. Uh, I'm in Ohio, so I'm Northwest Ohio. Mm. So a little bit of everything, I feel. Um, but it's still nothing like. Like we had a few days that were like, man, you like you stand there and you're like you you have your goggles on and you can just feel the sweat kind of go. And I hate I hate the moment when you're standing there or you're getting ready and you maybe do like a little kind of hop or you do something and a piece of sweat drips in your eye and then it just <laughs> glosses over and you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> right before you, the buzzer you wear hits. Glasses you're like, or contacts or anything? Uh, I have glasses that I wear, but they're not a strong prescription or anything. Yeah, I just did the switch to contacts <clears throat> recently. I'd say in the past, I don't know, eight months. Yeah. Maybe it's been a year. Uh, but I actually had a, a depth perception issue, and which is crazy with paintball. Yeah. So that's why like, when I aim my gun out farther, I can definitely see where the ball is landing more easily. Mm-hmm. But I, I started using contacts to, to help correct that, help fix that. But if you get a piece of sweat in there, or if you get you know some dirt in there, oh, it's game over. No bueno. It's all cloudy. Can you believe that, so, uh, that contact lenses used to be glass? Yeah, that's that's insane. To me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely Christ. insane. Uh, I had one question for you. Have you played yeah. a blind layout yet? Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did they do them back in the day or? Yeah. Or did well, you... well, all the uh, all the seven mans were uh, were blind oh. layouts, and I can't remember as far as the PSP goes. Those might have been released, but I, I can't. I can't really remember. But I have played blind layouts before, and I, I don't know. For me, I've always enjoyed them because it was always. Um, and you'll have so many arguments on this whole thing, uh, which has come up a lot. I've listening to certain podcasts and everything. It's it's always like a hot topic, but to me, it's not really a hot topic. I feel like it's a, a kind of a no brainer. Um, but I feel like there's arguments to both sides. I mean, you have pros and cons of each. But as a player, I feel like it's most fun to play a, a blind layout and i feel like i feel like like you see the people who get it you know not who get it quicker but who can just figure out the field faster and that's that's another mm-hmm. part of the game that i enjoy uh and you'll have you know like let's say marcelo right like he he's a big fan of like he's a planner he likes to plan i'm much more of like you know figure it out as it goes like the chaos like i like being in the war having a plan but then going to war knowing that you know your plan's going to fucking change but being able mm-hmm. to figure out you know you know f- figure it out in real time um but you know having having that that layout uh 2 weeks ahead of time and grinding it on that's 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 fun and everything like that but it's you know i i don't think you lose practices with uh with the blind layouts, because I feel like you're still, you're still practicing a layout. Like, so what level does, right? We'll play one layout one weekend and we'll play another layout the next weekend. And we'll just, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll walk and learn that field the first weekend and we'll do the same on the second. And it's not taking away from our practice because we're, we're sitting there and we're learning a new field as a team. We're figuring it out as a team, even if we're going to play a different one the next weekend and then a different one the following, but we're still, having the conversations together um, as one and then breaking it down and then also practicing it at the same time. 
Yeah, and so I, I like got into a little bit of like a debate with Marcel and Tyler about this recently, and and here's my final answer. Mm. I just kind of came up in the blue, but this is what I here's my final answer on this topic. <laughs> I think that the layouts, the release layouts, the two weeks before, that's I think that's probably necessary for the sport as a whole. I think it's beneficial for the sport as a whole, mm-hmm. but I think the best teams are going to play a blind layout best. And I think that when you have the best teams are able to learn the blind layout the quickest and take advantage of the teams that don't know how to play it. Yeah. And if you have multiple weekends, that's when some of the, the lower teams can just take notes and get their, get their beatings early and come in and try to play that game at the tournament. Yeah. So that's my final answer. On that. <laughs> so, but what's a better, <laughs> what's a better story, right? You have, because it's similar stories, just opposite sides of the spectrum. You have, what's a better story? Every team coming into this event has no idea what the field layout's going to be. Everybody's going to learn it at the same time. Everybody's going to be trying to figure it out at the same time. You're you're seeing moves organically in real time. Um, and then on the flip side, you have all of these teams have had this layout for two weeks. And you have some teams that could spend hours and days and can shoot as much paint as they freely want on the on the field because they have an unlimited amount of paint that they can shoot or you have these other teams who have the same amount of time on the field but it might be limited too because they can only shoot so much paint and everything like that but they still have it two weeks ahead of time so mm-hmm. um i mean it's similar arguments but to me it just seems like it it I don't want to say it makes it fair because it's not nothing's fair, but I think it's more of an argument of like everybody has an equal amount of prep time. Now it's really now it's really going to come down to, you know, just having the teams organically get together and practice, just practice and be together and figuring out as you know, figure it out as a team, no matter what layout they're playing, because they don't know what, what layout they're playing and and just practice you're not figuring out bounce shots you're not doing this we'll figure that out when we get there um but you're not like okay well we can spend from you know 8 a.m till 7 p.m because we can shoot as much painting as we want because we don't have you know where some teams like level we're all paying for that that practice paint so we don't want to pay you know four hundred dollars a person to shoot that you know we we can only do so much so it's like yeah i don't know i mean there's it's such a tough argument because it's on both sides. I just, I really truly enjoy, and I think it's a good story too, like the blind layout stuff. I think the way the MPPL did it back in the day for divisionals was kind of cool, though, because that was my first year playing national tournaments in 2007, mm-hmm. and we had to go try to walk eight different layouts. And <laughs> as a D3 player, I mean, I'm 12 years old, maybe. Yeah. I mean, to, to process eight different layouts, I don't think I was ever really getting the grip of one of them. We thought yeah. we were, but uh, I, it would have been better in those days to maybe just focus on a few different ones and uh, and try to learn how to play it. But th- this way, focusing on one layout at the tournament that's released at the tournament and, and mastering that over the course of a weekend, mm-hmm. I do I do enjoy that. There was, there was another thing uh, that I had mentioned in previous podcasts too was – I think, I mean, I'm sure Trozen enjoys making the layouts and everything, but I think it would be really cool if you, if people, fans, players, whatever, could submit 
their le- their layouts and then and then like teams we team captains or whatever it could be like a few weekends before could narrow it down to um well th- okay so let me I like this idea. So 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 <laughs> like let me let me let me tell you the whole thing though because it's not, it's more than just that. It's good it would be in the off season there would be everybody would be making layouts, right? And then what we would do is we would limit it limit it to the the first 100 50 whatever whatever conceptually we could do to actually look at all the layouts. You're still not really going to play them to not know how they would be. I don't know I don't know if Trozen does that now. Um just to see if they would work. Yeah. But, but my plan would be, in the beginning, have that set amount that people would submit, have a vote on it, publicly vote, and then narrow that down to 20 or whatever, and then have the the captains narrow that down. They would have the final vote to, like, the six. Narrow it down to six. Mm-hmm. Or depending on however many events. If they're still going to do minors, I'm... I'm I'm mainly going off of five majors. So let's just say for five majors, right? You have six layouts. You have six layouts for that year. So now what happens is you go into the first one with you have five layouts to choose from. That layout doesn't get doesn't get picked and it randomly gets picked. You can fucking do a bingo thing. I don't care where or a lottery thing where you have five balls and then one comes up and you fucking pick it, whatever. But it doesn't get picked till Thursday. Thursday morning. Um or fucking do Wednesday. I don't give a shit. But yeah. but now you have that layout. You play that layout. That one goes in the garbage. Now you have five for the next four layouts. That's pretty cool. I do like that idea. And now you kind of I like how the players could make them too. Exactly. They 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 you know players and fans of the game. What anybody could you know could bring it in, and, it, and that is kind of an interaction too that you can have. And because how cool would it be if you're like, you know, some kid made a layout. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, someone was calling me. That's all good. Um, how cool would it be you if you were a, if you were a kid and you got a layout picked for the top five or top six layouts and and maybe got and chose one of them for an actual tournament? But what's cool is that you have all these layouts and you can you could possibly be practicing one of the layouts that's going to get chosen for any of the tournaments. So let's say World Cup comes mm-hmm. around, you have two choices. And then what you could do is you can play one of those fields one weekend and then play the other field the other weekend. And now you do I have, actually like that a lot. Yeah, now you do have that option and then whatever one gets, you know, picked, you're you're still at least a weekend in. So That would be pretty fun actually. You should you start saw. a league and do this. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I'm, I don't think I, convince Jason, but <laughs> <laughs> Well, that I mean, that's just like we're always trying to figure out ways to have people interact, right? Like we're we're with the whole like fan wagon thing and all this stuff. We're always trying to figure out ways to get people involved, and I think this would be just another cool way to. I mean, there's some there's some working pieces that you would have to figure out, but I don't think it's anything that's truly difficult. Um, and then there's there's the thing too, where it's like you know you have the fifty, and then the public chooses the the 25 or the 20 and then the the head coaches the teams really get together and then they have a deadline to choose the top 6 and then it was just it gets everybody involved and it's not necessarily like something where it where you won't have crazy outlandish layouts that you're going to have to play like yeah you're going to have to deal with some but then that's where you know choosing the top 6 the top 
six pro teams have that ability to kind of weed out the unnecessary ones because I'm sure people are going to be like, oh, this one's crazy. We're going to get that. But it's like it might not be practical. Yeah, this is a beauty of paintball, though, that it can change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't really follow other sports that closely. Maybe they do change a lot. Uh, but I think just over the past, since I've been playing, playing different formats, different styles, and we're still talking about things that could change in the future, that's what yeah. I like about paintball. <laughs> Dude, I have, so, I have so many things that I've, I've, I have talked about of just changing like some of the – like me, I was just talking about this with Sloviak. I did a podcast with him um, a few nights ago, <laughs> but my, my computer decided not to record anything. So that was a fun two-hour oh, conversation no. where <laughs> it would just it was just fun to have because that's all we did we couldn't record it. But um, I talked to him about having um, instead of flags, the refs under their under their sleeves, like the mesh part of their arm is red and yellow. So now whenever they're coming at you, instead of like yelling just "you're out, you're out" and we're doing this whole one for one thing because it's not a one for one, it's actually like it's different than a one for one. Uh, they could be coming out, calling you out like this, holding whatever penalty arm up. So if it's like if it's a if it's a um, a major, they'll have their red arm up, or if it's a minor, they'll have a yellow arm up. So you'll know that you're getting pulled out, and then also you won't have to be like looking for a flag. But I mean, I don't know. Some people like the flag. And if I'm they just... throw the wrong flag, they could just oh, switch arms. Yeah, you know that's because that happens. That happens so often where they throw a wrong flag, and at least a minor. Maybe a major. They're pulling two people. Mm-hmm. That actually is a good idea. Or if you don't want to go that far of doing like the arm, excuse me for my ice chewing. Um, but but if you don't want to go arm, you could do a, a red a red glove and yellow glove, and then you can just like be hand, hold your hand up or I don't know. I'm, I'm just just a yellow smoke bomb. Just right cool. in the middle of the field. <laughs> like one of those. It's like one of those ninja balls that you like smoke balls that you just come at you. Yeah, or like the whole court lights up in yellow lights. I mean, we could get fancy with it. Easy. Well, one, I think there should be two clocks, and they should be at either end of the field. I think think that would be a major change, having two Mm -hmm. clocks at either end so the teams would both be – I mean, have it to where the way we're facing. It's like look at in football. There's a there's a play clock right that's in the end zone that they can see. Uh, look at basketball; they have a shot clock that's what above the rim, yeah. right? So all of this is in play in in play range uh, or play visuals. I don't know how, how you want to say it, but like, I, yeah, I like that a lot actually. But that way, that way, what we could do is, and on top of that, what I would like to integrate is on the scoreboard is have like a light on top. So that it's just another indicator of like, go, you know, you'll have the horn, yes. but you also have the indicator. Um, and then I, I honestly, I think too, I mean, and, and people listening to this probably like, dude, shut the fuck up about it. But I think there should be, uh, there should be a body count on the scoreboard. Yeah, that would actually be pretty cool. I think, I, I think it would be cool. I don't think it would change the game all that much. And I think it would be cool for them to not only do it on the scoreboard, but then also do it on the the webcast itself under the score. I don't know why they definitely got rid of on it. The webcast. Yeah, definitely I, on the webcast. Were you around that one year where they put ships in our guns? It was PSP, and they were counting how many shots we shot per point. 
Probably. That was interesting metric. I don't even know what they did with that, but that was some interesting like gun technology. I wanted to add one thing. So you were talking mm. about the but the lights on top of the scoreboard. Yeah. They go. I would love that because that was a big issue with this last tournament. There was a couple of clips of this happening where yeah, like we had, like two tournaments ago we were kind of we couldn't hear the buzzer. We were leaving early, and similar situation this one where we just couldn't quite hear it or the count on the clock would go wrong. And mm -hmm. I'm looking at the ref. To drop his hand, but you think he's really dropping his hand at the speed of light, you know? When or he got a bug zero. just bit him or something. <laughs> I know. So we we were having issues with that, but some way to besides just the buzzer it would be really nice. Uh, I think it would be fairly easy to put a horn right on the same like so the 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 buzzer is attached right to the to the start box and behind. Just add like a add a horn I add a little speaker right there with a horn that's attached to the board but have i i think what they should do too besides that which i think would be huge i'm glad they took away the countdown i'm glad that it's a silent 10 um or i think they should probably even do a silent five but anyway um i digress i i think they should do a a, a horn that's significantly different than all the other fields so the pro horn should be different than the semi-pro, the divisionals, all of that. So, like, so Man, you, you you're still full of some good ideas. Yeah. Actually, that's <laughs> that's exactly the problem that we were facing with faster. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, that 100%. the other field had a buzzer, like the end buzzer, the point over buzzer, mm -hmm. uh, happened. I mean, a second before our point started, mm -hmm. and w on our side of the field, we knew that they that it was the other field's buzzer going off, and so we waited the extra second. But I think we were playing maybe DMG or Thunder, and they pulled up on that first buzzer. We all got shot within a foot off the box. And we're trying to argue it, but like, how do you argue it? Can you review it? But the different buzzer noises would, I mean, would solve the entire issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I think the thing too is like you're, you're having the sport, like you're still now even having people jump the gun. And this was still happening when there was a countdown, but people are still, this is still an issue. And I, I watched it even this weekend. Um, what I, a simple, a simple fix would be like changing the horn, but this is an issue with a, with a, a sport that relies on hearing that bunker and there's, or hearing that buzzer rather. And there's so much noise happening around that, that it, it does make it difficult um, to just rely on that sound. That's why I think it should be a significant sound just for the pro field, um, and they should do a different noise for the uh, the end concede uh, buzzer or the uh, you hit the buzzer buzzer. I love it. And the other way people are jumping the gun, and Joey Barrett, this is you, <laughs> and you were really good at it. Um, <clears throat> you could stand far enough on the back of the box. And, of course, everyone tries to get it like – you know, where, where's the gray that you're playing on the box? Can you get one foot out of bounds? There was, I mean, two tournaments ago, Joey was like a foot behind the box. And he had to pull his barrel tip up two inches to shoot that first lane. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, he was smoking us three steps off the box. And eventually they changed that. But I thought I'd heard some discussions of changing the start box or adding in some extra bumpers to keep everybody in, in a respectful distance from the start box because <laughs> yeah. i mean you you take a step back off that thing and and uh i think what back in the day you used to start overhead you, know, similar, <laughs> you could start problem. you could do i remember seeing watching videos where 
it was ten man, and you could you you had to start behind this fence or this gate, but you could start like this, and you literally just <laughs> right on go. You just started and you're just like start just start. It was insane. Um, but I think for when I was playing seven man, it was it was you had to have your barrel across and down below your waist or at least aiming so you want to hear another crazy idea let's hear it <laughs> i'm all for it this man. is all like <laughs> my wife is burned out for me like hey, we should we should do this and do that um so what i think would a cool technology that i think would be cool um would be recognizing five barrel touches on the start box so this would be like having some kind of little like tracer on the end of each barrel. This is obviously like could be done easier. This is just how I dreamt it up, right? Would be um, just just to ensure that all five barrels were touching. Because, I mean, that's another thing, too. It's like, you know, are they really – how many people are starting really not touching, not touching the start box? Excuse me. Um, we don't know. We see some people jump. Some people aren't really touching some, you know, whatever it may be. But I think it would be cool would have like have some kind of LED thing on a start box to where it like it just has five green squares that start out empty. But then when you have when you have one barrel touch, one of the green squares lights up and then another barrel touches, the next one lights up. And until that's full, it'll it'll turn like it'll be all green or whatever it is. But then whenever somebody like if somebody's not touching, there'll be a vacant square. So, you know, that somebody's like <clears throat> not touching. Yeah. And I, I think that's awesome. I was just thinking of like what type of almost barrel tip holder could you have? But mm-hmm. man, would that change some breakouts? I think, yeah, you know, the diversity, we, we stress a lot of like, uh, of course not telegraphing what we're going to do or sometimes doing big fakes of what we're going to do. And you kind of add a constraint like that. And I mean, I, it would be an interesting you know, adjustment to have to work with. Yeah. There'd be a lot so, of testing for sure with that. But yeah. <laughs> another, <laughs> another people complaining about that one for sure, but it is needed to, to have some type of control over the false starts. Another thing that I noticed, and it was kind of across the board. I mean, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but it seemed like a lot of people were getting late to the start box, even with it being split deck. It seemed like a lot of people were, kind of just getting to the start box, um, give or take. And I don't know, was it because they were like chronoing on and you, you know, the whole thing where it's like you go by and you're just like, Doop! you just throw one ball and it's like, you kind of, you kind of just hope yeah. that it's like under 300. Um, I was, I was always a big fan of having two guys, two refs and two chronos, um, doing everybody because then you're not standing in a line like trying to get out to the start box and you're like also chronoing your gun. 100%. I think there should be two chronos at each entrance so that it's not, it doesn't bottleneck as you're like trying to get onto the field so that you have two different refs you can go to. This could be already. I don't know. But what's, uh, I'm not really not a sports guy. What's the, the bat? So it's on baseball, not the guy that's swinging, but there's like on deck. The on or deck. In, there needs to be a little in the on hole. deck in the hole. Yeah, I think like on deck is doing next. practice swings. Yeah, yeah. There needs to be a little like uh, section of the net like that where you can go in and chrono. I think part of the issue is like sometimes we're not noticing the horn go off in that one minute start, and if you just miss it by ten seconds, yeah, I mean you're you're running out of time. The other thing is 
a lot of paintballers end up walking and a lot of other sports they're always jogging like i know like in like football it's like you have to jog mm-hmm. <laughs> wherever you're going it's, it's like out of respect for the sport almost um and i think a lot of paintballers just because it's so hot out there we got so much gear on that will end up walking uh to the start box and that kind of makes it a, a time crunch so it's yeah, a couple true. things let's get the let's get the the dugout or not the, the in the hole but what is that what we're calling in, it? uh on deck on deck, on deck. The, the, batter, the batter sure. circle. So I was just <laughs> I was just thinking about this as we were talking about it. So instead of instead of this could be another like five guys on kind of thing. Instead of having a ref with a chrono, you would have a stationary chrono pointed at the ground, and you could have a counter on that on like five guy like five good chronos, right? So like you have a guy come over, the first guy shoot, walk, shoot, walk, shoot, walk. So you're like. And they can just like kind of pass it by and shoot across it, and it give you the a green or a red or whatever the fuck. But then you mm-hmm. can that could be the chrono, not necessarily having a ref having to stand there and do it. A ref can stand there and watch. He'd be like, "Hey, fucker, you shot three oh two. Come back and do that again." The future of paintball looks pretty interesting. I mean, there is a lot of things we can incorporate. And oh yeah, continuing to grow it, and yeah, hopefully, I mean, we'll see what the Olympics would require, but. Hopefully that's in the the near future. They don't want me on the the board because I would have all kinds of crazy ideas that they would do. Like, dude, Carl, <laughs> shut up, dude. We get it. You want to sure. see all this stuff happen? But I'm just like, hey, you. I I would much rather you you. What was it? Um, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So I'm just I'm just trying to take shots, man. It's one of them's gonna go in. I'm gonna hit. I'm gonna hit the. Uh, I'm gonna hit the pipe a bunch, but. You know what? Some are going to go in. I'll miss some, but, you know. Hey, paintball has some of the best arguers I've ever met in my life. It just attracts them. And we're all feisty and, and uh, you know, strongly opinionated, but yeah. that's a can, penalty. We can beat it up sometimes. That's a penalty, bro. That's a penalty. <laughs> I'm going to exactly. put that on a shirt, dude. That's all I, I hear. I to Jason and, and, and I was like, hey, you know, how's it going? You know, I think last time I was like, couldn't seem. Seems rather quiet. Don't want to jinx it, but it seems like it's going pretty smoothly this tournament, you know, because I think sometimes first match, it could just be first match of the tournament. It could be, you know, some explosive argument on Jason and mm-hmm. he takes a lot. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would not want to do I don't want to do his job at all. Yeah. I just want to tell him he does a good job. Well, he's done a good job with some of the layouts. I think it's been a good time and. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, excited for this next one. So we'll see what, yeah. what we're coming out with there. And don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not implying that he does a bad job at creating layouts by wanting to or, or by by cre- wanting to create this kind of user friendly kind of create the field layouts. That's it's not because I think the layouts are bad at all. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought of a, it would be a way for you know players and people to interact. Oh yeah, it's really engaging. It's kind of like a snapshot in VR. People were making layouts and stuff on there. I thought, yeah, um, and uploading different ones. Have you played that online game yet? No, I've I saw a bunch of it. I mean, I saw it. It looks like it looks like fun, but I just I got other stuff to do. I just, yeah, <laughs> it's addicting. I just don't, yeah, do it. don't I, start because you'll be addicted for sure. Day. Yeah. So I mean, how do you feel? How did you feel? At the beginning of Sacramento, obviously at the end of Sacramento, it was what you guys wanted. Um, but did you kind of did you guys feel the same and have that same kind of uh, um, 
feeling about the field and about, I, mean, it, we, I know it changes, but do you guys have a good feeling going into it, like in pretty pretty solid game plans after, let's say Friday? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest thing for impact on this was, you know, the way we had a lot of guys at the last tournament, and we're going to have a lot of guys at this next tournament, and all the guys are awesome players. But yeah. we didn't really find our, our good groove uh, at the last tournament you know, before Sacramento. Uh, we had just got you know, like Mouse and J-Red back on, and we were just kind of figuring out how we can all play together in the best way. So having a, a smaller roster allowed us to kind of focus in on just playing with a partner for the weekend. Like one of my partners was just fuzzy. So, you know, I played with some Darula, some and Laval. And most of the time we had, you know, six guys for most of the tournament. So yeah. we were all kind of playing the same, the same line. So I didn't get to the tournament until you know, late Thursday. I didn't see the field out until Friday. And, uh, that's when we just started to you know, break out some bread and butter. Um, I would get up, I think that, like my approach was the first match I would get up into the 50 and I could look inside I could control the field in a way to where fuzzy whoever was behind me could come up and start playing a pair with me so we did not know we did not go into the first match saying we know how to play the 50s mm. or we know how to to win through the middle we let that we, we definitely took a baby step first kind of played a bit slower and then second match really spiced it up really turned it up a notch um, the twos would maybe take over and, and, and push down the side or, or take the lead on the side. Yeah. Um, and we'd start throwing in more experimental stuff like that. So by day two, I think it's when we had our bread and butter um, that we felt comfortable with and then also kind of knew what we could get away with. We were starting to pick up on some of the reads. And for me on snake side, it was we were always trying to identify like where the back center guy was shooting. And if you sat far enough off the back center, you could shoot like the God bunker or the bunker right before the snake. And so we, we thought the Dorito side could call it and say, oh, the, the back center is going to shoot snake way. Uh, but he was actually, he would Dixie cross and he'd throw us off each time and we were, we'd get shot to break sometimes. So by day two, we were picking up that, all right, I can make this read as I'm running out. Really, that's really where my focus should be on the snake side. And the Dorito side, I think they were looking at the tower and the back center as well. We'd make that read, and then I'd choose which bunker I'd go to, you know, three steps into the run. Mm -hmm. So that was when we started getting more comfortable with the reads. And if you could get that extra bunker or, you know, take that extra ground, I think we were able to use that to our advantage a lot. So, but that took, I'd say that took a couple matches at least. Yeah. I love playing like that, like having, having options, um, because I feel like it helps the individual player, whoever whoever's having to make those decisions. It makes it, you know, there's a lot on your shoulders at that point because you know you you're having to make a one of your first decisions of the of the mat or of the point rather, um, very very quickly mid run. But I think it also kind of it kind of hones in on your your ability of looking downfield and, and scoping out lanes and all that. And I I love having that option. Um, because it just kind of makes me a little sharper in the beginning of the match, I feel. Yeah, you know, sometimes I've preferred <clears throat> coaching styles where they say, you know, Zoop, go to the God, or go to Snake One, or go to Corner, and they tell you what they're going to do. Like when I was playing on the CEP days, uh, or when Adam and Kevin were coaching, uh, Kevin Fillers and Adam Smith, they, they'd tell you what was going to happen. 
And I, I enjoyed that. And on this team, this tournament in particular, it was very much like a, a free roll on your side. Mm-hmm. So while we're walking out, while we're getting on the box, we would really orchestrate the back three or the shooters. And then we would kind of do more of a free roll with our front positions. And we had to, because we had such a tight roster, we could really talk about all the intricacies. And, and uh, I would tell them where I wanted to go. And then they would adjust their secondary gameplay because of that. So it was kind of more of a free roll nature to how we approach this tournament as opposed to like other teams or other tournaments we played in the past where it's a little bit more structured. Yeah, I feel like that's a that's a great I think that's a great position for your front players because obviously you want to know where your where your back guys are gonna shoot and allocate their positions accordingly, um, as far as the back players are concerned. But for the most part, your front players, I feel like giving them that option is great because it's like you obviously don't push unnecessarily into a gun or into a lane or anything like that. And you and you can tell, and even the player, if it's a high-quality player, will come back and go, I, I just tried to push it a little bit too much there. You know, I'll, I'll reset next time. I just try to, you know, but it's also one of those things too where it's like, you know, if you see it, I would much rather have you try and take it if you see it than have you be like uncertain whether or not you could do it because... I, I wouldn't want you to second guess yourself. I'd rather have you go and maybe something negative happen rather than have you be like, I just stayed in my bunker and, and didn't move and, you know, didn't do anything. Yeah. Now, looking back, I mean, maybe we did try different front player breakouts more structured on the first day. And in a way, we were kind of collecting our own statistics. And we'd even watch other teams this way. <clears throat> and what I found was I thought the snake corner was getting shot a lot off break mm-hmm. or was pretty susceptible to getting shot. And then as we got comfortable with the reads, that's when we could play the option on the breakout much more easily. Yeah. Playing the option without knowing your reads was just, you know, it's like a, it's, you're just gambling. But definitely by Sunday, uh, I, I would make the read and I would tell the team what I was wanting to do or we'd look at see you know, what's the specific lineup that they're throwing out there yeah. and make a more educated guess. So, yeah, kind of looking back again, I definitely think that's kind of how we approached it. Structured, just a little bit structured breakouts at first to get the statistics and then having more uh, freestyle opportunities. Oh, for sure. And I, and I think especially with a field having a back center, it's so key. I mean, it's, it's huge having your front guys being able to to address that and, and notify not only themselves but their players of which way that guy's shooting and that and it's like you said that's going to give you that's going to give you your audible mid run or even the not even mid run before you take off on what your available bunkers are or or you know where you're going to be able to go off the get mm-hmm. um i predict that the next field layout is not going to have a back center i i, I would I bet that's a good, a good guess right there. At least I hope, I, at least I hope it doesn't. <laughs> uh, a lot of people relied on the back center this time, and and uh, I kind of, yeah, I, I like the I like the layout. So there's no back center, and everyone's running and shooting to a degree off break, or taking a serious risk with a float. Oh, for sure. I know we went through a phase of those layouts, but I, I kind of like that you're kind of putting people on their feet off the bat, mm-hmm. um, and forcing them to make some moves. Yeah, move your feet a little bit before you, before you can. Hurry up and hide and shoot your marker. Like, get is it what Chicago's like the diamond diamond snake typically, or it has been historically? <laughs> I hope not, bro. I hope not. <laughs> we kind of had that this tournament. That's what I'm saying. It's kind of a 
but I guess it was an ex snake. Yeah, but it was it was like but on top of that, it was it was also like a a, a center fifty attached to it because of that brick, right? Yeah. So it's like, um, and that's I think what made it good. Like what 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 made it playable was you had that kind of defensive offensive position of that brick because you could go there and shoot the guy going in or you can look inside and cut down Dorito's side. Um, so I watched a, a lot of games on that one, but it, it was fun. <laughs> um, but those are ones, man, where, where you have just this like this only playing one spot like diamond snake thing, I, I don't like that because I, I like having options. I'm a big fan of like – of making people think there's more than one person in a, in a spot. I'm a big fan of like of attempting that. But I don't like I don't like those and I'm not a fan of like ladder snakes because I feel like a ladder snake is like a dumb like a the dumbed down version of a snake because anybody with a with a decent bat guy could just go all the way down and shoot everybody in the back and and, yeah. and be like, "Oh, that's great. That's fine." Yeah. But it's like I like ones that you, you, it's segmented. It, there's gaps. You have to fight your way down. But then some would argue like, well, if you have a guy in the snake with you, you have to gunfight in front. Like, yeah, I get it. But then once that guy's dead, it's just like it's a free-for-all. And any goon with a gun can just go down and, like, make himself look good. Yeah, I like the options. The, the, yeah. Having like, – I remember going to that first wedge on this past layout. You had the option to go to God and into the snake, yep. or you had this kind of creative option to just sneak and dive into. A, it was cool. Like it was kind of. It just felt like a really weird run, just kind of diving into the grass. Mm-hmm. And they could technically shoot you over the beam if you dove it one way, but they really wouldn't see you. And you just had two really different options to sneak into the snake based off the reeds. And that's how I kind of grew up playing because I grew up. I grew up on D side, mm-hmm. so I love the inside move. Yeah. You know, if there's if there's chaos on the tape, I don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to go inside and dip to the next bunker. So playing those options is really helpful for me. That's that's how I prefer to play. And the zipper snakes, you know, <laughs> I don't have too much fun with either. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like I complain a lot about stuff, but the same, I don't because it's I'm not complaining. I'm just expressing. <laughs> it all I mean depends how the tournament goes. I mean I can't be that that upset on this one it just we ended up you know pulling it out but i think it it just fit like the d side fit brandon really well i thought brandon Cornell played excellent he's Um, a beast he can he's a beast he can play the nice slow control game or based off of you know their breakout and who was who who on the other team was shooting where if it was lighter on the d side boom he was in the 50 Mm -hmm. so we kind of played off of each other a lot that's this was probably one of the tournaments where i could connect with the front guy on the d side really well Mm -hmm. i was in that center brick looking d side a lot of times i was protecting d side a lot of times and i could just talk right to brandon and with zipper snakes or some other layouts it's kind of hard to get that cross field connection your head's down your dick's in the dirt and you're just Mm -hmm. kind of like there's you don't have very many like what you said you don't you just don't the options aren't there yep and I like to stand up, I like to see everything, mm-hmm. and uh, if I can kind of pop the top of the wedge and kind of put it together, uh, that's that's my favorite way to play. Yeah, and, I, and and talking as a former, like I still play the snake, but like I played it a lot more when I was younger. But then I really kind of trans, uh, 
I kind of transformed into like a because I, I I played Doritos, I played a lot of Snake in some centers when I was with Excessive. Then I played a lot of Doritos in Center when I played with Avalanche, and then it was kind of just like all over the place. But uh, from that, but I feel like from playing a lot of Snake, I think a lot of Snake players like to also be on their feet and and their and their knees. Like we, I don't like my head in the dirt all the time. Like I like being involved in the game. That's what, to me, like, yeah, the position calls for that sometimes. But I feel like when you have fields like you did in Sacramento, you have this kind of different structure to a snake player now that you have to that you have to adapt to, and you have to bring in aspects of your previous game like you said you grew up on the Dorito side so that mm-hmm. kind of formulated with your snake play and you were able to, to kind of maneuver that let's I guess I don't guess I know a lot better than everybody else there that weekend and it showed and I think I think having fields where it shows snake players abilities to to multitask in that way if it makes sense um, just overall it makes it more fun and challenging as a snake player yeah yeah i agree completely man it's like when you were describing that i'm like running through all these different layouts <laughs> <laughs> i've seen over the years and like like from hunting to beach 2007 like just zipper snake pound him in the snake crawl all the way down mm-hmm. to like more intricate ones and uh, yeah i just it just was a rolodex going through my head <laughs> like all the different emotions and scenarios i've seen and mm-hmm. and the general trends uh, say something else that popped up. I have to ask you: weren't you like the fast, considered the fastest player in the league back in the day? The unofficial official. Is, yeah, <laughs> but I never, yeah. I never wore it like on my my sleeve as like everyone. I everyone said it. I mean, you were wicked fast. So I'm curious: how do you think you stand with today? You know, like Mouse and and Keith and. Think, um, think you can uh, chase the title there? So the only title that I think I would hold now in the speed department would be like the fastest dad in paintball. Okay. So I would I would go with that title. I, I, I hold that pretty strong, I feel. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I feel like my speed is probably still up there. I'm, I'm definitely not, uh, I don't think, top notch. But I always felt like my speed happened mid-game. And I mean, I don't know how I would do like on sprints and everything, but I, f- I feel really good like uh, mid game um, bunker to bunker jumps and everything. So, yeah, maybe that has been these questions have been asked before, but I'm curious, like, <clears throat> have you always been fast or was it a training thing or were you raised as a runner? <clears throat> What's the background there? So I got picked on when I was a kid and it was a lot of like running away from <laughs> people and and uh I just, I, and that's kind of what I thought too when I, you know, when I played sports, at least when I played football a lot, was whenever I had the ball or whenever I was going to tackle somebody, it was always like, in my mind, it was always like running away from, from those people who are trying to like beat me up or whatever it is. Like I always just try to, I just as long as I'm faster than those guys. And I wasn't the fastest kid growing up. Like I was, I was mid-pack or something like that. But something happened, I feel, personally, like towards the end of my high school career. I it, I don't know if that's when I hit puberty or what it was. But <laughs> yeah. uh, it was just like something kind of clicked, and I felt I was just more in tune with my body. I was more body conscious. 
So I, I just could feel kind of where my steps were. I felt like I had a really good grip on um, where to slide, where to dive, how many steps I could take subconsciously and get to a spot with the least amount of steps. Um, but I've, I've been a very big fan of like playing on the balls of your feet. And if you look at running in general, uh, the the sprinters, everybody everybody runs who, who's fast, runs on the balls of their feet. But in paintball, you play on your whole foot, right? Going to a corner, yeah. you're not just you're not just sliding and stopping on the ball of your foot. You're using your heel. You want as much surface area to grab as you're going into that corner. Um, but any of those quick bumps, I'm making sure that I'm rolling on top of my the ball of my foot and like using that to kind of excel. So, I mean, that would be, that would be one piece of advice that I would tell people. And I've never trained my speed. It was never nothing like that. Um, it was all very natural, but that was something that I was very conscious about. And if it had one piece of advice, it would be try and run more on the ball of your foot. That's uh, that was a change I implemented probably a year and a half ago. And I was like a heel runner mm-hmm. and it just it looks gross it's not fast. It's bad for you. Mm-hmm. And I would notice it in the videos. And and I think it especially happens like at the end of the end of the tournament or when it's really muddy out and you're just running around with cinder blocks. I would strike my heel first, but I always try to practice running on the balls of my foot. And uh, I I think it's been very helpful to me, but definitely a little bit behind on the <laughs> progression and the speed here. Yeah, got little short legs I'm working with, but. Um, yeah, I, I agree. That's an extremely important aspect to the technique for sure. So another thing that I would I would say if you're like if um, somebody out there listening is trying to like learn how to run on the balls of their feet, and then also I am not a sports expert or or sports medicine expert or nothing like that. I'm not a training expert. This is all purely just what I think. But doing um, doing sprints in a serpentine would kind of keep you like um keep you that like that small amount of cutting that you're doing as you're doing that kind of I think keeps you on the ball of your foot as you're doing that sprint and I mean that kind of relates to paintball too because you're kind of changing directions and doing this you can do zigzags if oh, you yeah. want but just something I've like that that one actually that's yeah. a pretty good one I'll have to try that I actually would go every Wednesday for a while I would go to the park do my sprints with my cleats and then go over to hot yoga with my, with my girlfriend. So that mm-hmm. was my Wednesday, like workout kind of breather or, uh, yeah, sprint and, and cardio day. Yeah. And then it doesn't even I'll, have to I'll be like it. hard cuts. You don't have to do hard cuts. Just make it to where you can, it's a nice, easy kind of just glide. So you can stay on the balls of your feet as you're, as you're running. Yeah. We had a, on Revo, there was a, a player named Jack Walchess and, and, he, he just, I don't even, it's not like a sports medicine. I don't know what exactly the, uh, the label is for it, but all about training your joints, uh, muscle activation. We do this for shoulders, wrists, neck, back, knees, ankles. And he really you know, woke me up to, uh, using all your muscles correctly. And I think one thing in particular was like these toe exercises, uh, making sure that all your toes are actually, uh, strong and supporting your your stride because mm-hmm. um, I got little short stubby toes man and I curl <laughs> them up and I'm just running on balls you know, and it's 
So uh, you have to really be, I guess for anyone listening, you have to really be attuned to like what your body is doing while mm-hmm. the adrenaline is just spiked up. And I, once you start seeing yourself on camera, have your buddy video you <clears throat> or watch you, that's when you're like, oh yeah, my adrenaline was spiked through the roof. I wasn't paying attention, but that's what I'm doing. And you can easily identify, yeah, that that's not quite right. Or we need to you know, build in a good habit. So that that's one thing that I personally had to work on the past couple of years. Yeah. It's always getting those knees up, you know, getting those knees up and getting that, getting that next, uh, foot strike of the ball of your foot down at a decent distance. And, um, yeah, I've, I also just enjoy moving in general. I mean, that was another thing for me. Like when I first started playing paintball, when I noticed that you could play competitively and there was different styles that people could play and, the main thing was to like move down the field and avoid getting hit. So it's very much kind of moving your body in, in all these crazy positions. And, um, for me, that was another thing is I've, the way I play paintball, which is not the greatest, you know, not the greatest way that everybody, I like, I don't have the trophies to show like other people do. I just, I very much enjoyed myself as I played paintball. And I think that's what kind of set myself, um, set myself separated or separated myself from uh, some other players was, you know, I don't have that many wins and and trophies and all this stuff compared to a lot of guys that have played as long as I have. But I think because I'm recognized is because of my play style and the way I played And it. And that for me, it was just, I wanted to make paintball fun, but then also attribute to the game at hand. If that makes sense, yeah. you know what I mean. I, I don't want to be going out there and making an ass of myself, but I don't want to go. I don't want to go out there and do what anybody could do. I, I wanted to be able to play the game how how I wanted to play, and make it most ef- effective and most efficient, but be able to have fun doing it. And um, I think the best way that I was able to do that was be very conscious of my body and be able to um, to maneuver in certain ways that. Um, that felt good and felt like it was, it was effective. And that's kind of, yeah. you know, kind of how I played. Does LVL still have you playing in a front spot or more of a mid spot or kind of where, where are you positioned on the LVL team? Uh, I'm kind of practicing everywhere. I'm, I'm kind of practicing, uh, you know, some front, obviously some mid center. I'm going like honestly everywhere. And I think it's one of those things where, um, we just kind of have to see like we know that I can do those things right I think the only thing that's kind of up in the air is is the mid the mid positions and the back positions I can I can shoot off the break and then fill or whatever like that but it's kind of like staying there for longer than five seconds (laughs) um (laughs) not too much I like being in the mix man um but uh but I think it's going to come down to like the actual event um once we get there and we kind of figure it out because what what tends to happen and I want to get your take on this too because I feel like there's there's arguments on both sides because I feel like some people are like oh you know impact one because you guys had so many reps which is true I mean that's that that is a true statement but there are also teams that did really really well in previous tournaments who ran two lines yeah. two lines which some guys I mean you have your typical like two to three guys who might just stay permanent 
but you have a continual, you know, you might have a different snake guy. You might have a different Dorito guy. There might be a change up in the mid or back position. But for the most part, they're rotating maybe like eight guys or nine guys um, and have won tournaments. Um, but I think I think it's just kind of, man, who's ever feeling it? Because there's been plenty of arguments of where teams who have started with seven guys, maybe even six, who have won a tournament because they were so low-staffed. But also guys who are running, or teams uh, rather, who are running two lines have won tournaments. I think it's a complex formula, and I think partially it's like the layout. Is the layout going to be a, a, a very high-scoring game? Or, you know, and what's it? What's the climate? Are you going to need those eight or ten guys? Mm-hmm. Definitely, there's been tournaments where, I mean, it just. I think it was Chicago last last year that just chewed us up. I mean, we had eight, but everybody was dying. We had people going to the hospital. Chris Shear went to the hospital. Um, we were all just, I mean, extremely beat down, and we needed ten guys, eleven yeah. guys. Um, this tournament, I guess, I do understand the argument that hey, we played a lot of points on, you know, on this layout. But I think, uh, and I, I say this all the time, I think it's just the groove you get in with your teammates. We've been to the finals before uh, this year, um, yeah, earlier this year, with eleven guys, and it's all about the groove that the team is in. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're if you're you know, coming up on a on a team in divisionals and trying to figure out what the formula is. I think you got to start with the culture and the attitude and the energy. Um, you can run two lines very healthy that way. Um, we've done it this year already. Um, and then as you refine and get towards Sunday, you can make some small adjustments. But uh, there needs to be organization and, and just a general strategy within the pits and within the personnel mm. um, outside of the, the strategy on the field. So I think for us, we were just having a blast, honestly. <laughs> like we were having a lot of fun uh, on and off the field. And the field did play a little bit slower at times. I think little things like having people crossed. Sometimes it was our front guys crossed. We were just connecting the whole field. Mm-hmm. And we weren't afraid to slow it down if we needed to. So I think we were able to find a lot of control. And just how we're able to play together, we were able to squeeze off a lot of points. There were just points that I think, like, yeah, we might have made some right moves and the right, like, the strategy mid-game, but we were also just playing off of each other very well. Yeah, and that's what I, that's what I think kind of fell into our hands more more often in, in this last tournament. Did you guys get a lot of penalties? There was, I think, quite a few the first day. Yeah, that was one of our takeaways and. They were just throwing penalties on everybody. <laughs> yeah, I noticed um, that too. <laughs> I think, like, Darula, I mean, some of them were just like, I think, yeah, some of them were just ridiculous. Yeah, like, Darula's Darula a cheater. Darula's where... such a dirty player, though. Yeah, right. That, that dude's <laughs> oh, like, never, that dude's a nasty yeah. beast. <laughs> I know Chad came up after, Chad George came up afterwards and said, that was a trade if I've ever seen one. So, I mean, little stuff like that, things like that just happened. And I think we were able to shake off most of that in prelims. Mm. Um, that was definitely like our, our takeaway on day one was if we just don't get penalties, if we start five, you know, start with a fair break. I think we had those couple flukes where we didn't have five guys on the box or we didn't hear the buzzer go off. We shake all that off and we were, we were playing a pretty good game from day one. I thought, yeah, I think there should be somebody should make a shirt that says no penalties, no excuses. And then uh, 
just put that on the back of a t-shirt for whatever team agree. needs it. I agree. There are certain players out there that tend to collect more penalties than others. And I think it's, I don't think it's necessarily, uh, you know, their intent or mm-hmm. like that they meant to, meant to get a penalty or, or play the gray. I think it's, they look like they're cheating and they tend to pull a penalty more. Yeah. And I've known some guys that just like, like Chris Shear is a good friend of mine on Revo and he kind of looks like he's up to no good at all times. <laughs> And it's their sick style, but just the way he pulls his gun in, it's mm-hmm. like, did you just cheat? I don't even know. You're like one of my best buddies. And did, Are you pulling in a hit? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's part of just the, the play style that can be drawn those penalties too. So I try to play pretty innocent. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I'm not going to lie, dude, I've cheated before. Like, but it was never, <laughs> it was, well, I, I I'll, I'll be honest, man. We, everybody's holding this this is this whole thing. Like everybody's holding this high horse of like, you know, be honest, this and that. And like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying go out there and cheat by any means. I'm saying ride the gray, Yes, but don't, don't blame me for the repercussions of you being a shitty player and a shitty cheater. Like that's, that's the biggest thing for me because I'm like, dude, if you, if you feel that much confidence in like getting rid of a hit or or playing the line be my guest but it's on you it's completely Agreed. on you so any repercussions or anything like that i'm not going to tell anybody how what they should and shouldn't do because we're all grown ass men and there's plenty of fucking gray for everybody you know what i mean and mm-hmm. I, do i think it's right i think it's a part of the game it's part um, of the game. That's it's part exactly of the game. What I was gonna say. And, and I, but I, I, I try my hardest not to. But if it's in the gray, it's in the gray. And I'm, but I'm not gonna put like, because I don't want to be a fucking angel with this thing, dude. Because I've cheated before. <laughs> I've slid off. I've slid oh, off hits, is. dude. I've, I've done. I've, I've done it before. But I know what I can get away with, and I know what I can't get away with. And I just, you know, because I was watching. So perfect example was I was watching um I forget what I want to give him a shout out because I I don't know what media production uh video, videographer it is but they do the mic'd up series with Dynasty and they had a recent one it's something media I'm sorry if I'm butchering it but uh or I can't even remember it for that, for that matter uh, but they did a mic'd up session with Ryan Greenspan for the for the Sacramento event and they were talking about the whole uh, Urena thing, where he had wiped a whopper, uh, a whopper hit, a hopper hit, and uh, and they were just like ripping into him at the end and everything. I'm like, like, I understand, I understand that point, and obviously that's the you know that's the repercussions of that. But dude, do you know how many times like some of the best players out there have cheated and got away with it? And then also on the flip side, how many like really good players are always like fucking really close shit. And it's like, that's a penalty. That's a penalty. I'm like, dude, just, dude, come on, bro. Like every single person that you shoot, it's a penalty. Like it, it's just sometimes it just gets a little fucking crazy of even the players insinuating all the penalty shit makes it even worse. And yeah. um, and you're hit. So if he's hit and he's talking, that should be a penalty. One. Um, but it's, it's like, it's such a tough line 
Uh, but I feel like it's like you 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 ride it, man. And and Mikey Mikey is such a good player, dude. He he's such a solid yes. player. He just got caught, and it fucking happens. It fucking happens. Yeah. There's different ways to play the gray. Like I yeah. think there's for different intentions behind playing the gray. And I'm not saying this is it's in Mikey's case at all because I don't think it is. And I, I agree, he's an awesome player. But sometimes you do see on on really big rosters or especially on divisional teams if people are competing for spots mm-hmm. that people just don't like ah that was a random ball i don't want to get out i'm going to be sat the whole tournament and they play the game for that reason or play yeah. the grade for that reason mm-hmm. or it's it's one of those where you dive into the snake many clips you on your ankle and it's like you could just finish crawling in sit up and you know that it's it's a more that's a big one. It's a, just a different way to play the gray, you know. Like some people push the envelope too much for selfish reasons. Yeah. And everyone knows, and if you do it, I've done it. Everyone's done it when you play it a little bit selfish sometimes. And I think that's when it really comes back to bite you. But there's definitely different ways to play the gray, and and uh, yeah, the better you can do it, I mean, it's it's it can be rewarding at times, of course. Yeah. And I mean, look, even in that video. Fucking Ryan got a penalty for a hit on his hip, and he he got a it was a minor, but he it was a playing on penalty. But it's like there there there's the gray, and it's just a different style, or not style rather, but but more of just how you fucking play the gray. And it's um, but I think that's also like you're talking the former of what you're talking about of like uh, people just wanting to stay in to kind of prove their worth and and not kind of be counted out too early. And I feel yeah, like a lot of people have the tendency of doing that in practice a lot. Yes. And um, yes. because there's there's so much playtime that is based off of, of practice play. Um, but, you know, I, I feel for Dynasty in the sense of like, man, it's it's the highest level. Everybody's competing. Shit like that happens sometimes. And, and sometimes you have the thought and the thought overtakes action and it just fucking happens. Because, because bro, how many times have you gotten hit and it's been in a certain spot or a certain area or something like that. And you had that that fucking thought and that instant of like, I could get rid of this. But but Did you the don't. LVO guys tell you but that you don't. <laughs> Did the LV, LV, uh, LVO guys tell you about the match or something? <laughs> no, no. What happened? Oh, I mean, there was so there was one point in the LVO match. I think Danny comes through and runs through and tries to shoot me, mm-hmm. bunker me out of the snake one. And he did nick me. It didn't break. So I was clean there. And then when the one-on-one came, at the end, I, I ran up to the center can. He was in the Drito one. And I came out. And, yeah, it popped me on my wrist. And I didn't flinch. And I'm looking right at the ref. Nothing's <laughs> going on. So I'm like, I'm just going to go bunker him. And, yeah, later, there's a little bit of paint. But, like, I played the gray in the way I felt like I had to play it. Mm-hmm. If I stopped and checked it and all that, the ref was standing right in front of me, did nothing. Yeah. And I played the gray and that allowed me to make the trade and have a no point. But they, I and that could have been a swing. That could have been a swing in the match, but the, the paintball it is so, so full of variables. Cause imagine if you would have, you would have got hit and you would have switched sides quick or something or like, or like wiped it against mm-hmm. the bunker or something. That's what I'm saying. You, you play the gray, everybody, everybody plays the gray, but it's, yeah. it's making the decision and also reacting to the refs. I mean, that's another thing. And I don't think that's a part of cheating. I think I feel like that's a part of the play too. Because how many times have guys gotten hit, crawling up, 
And then they kind of do this thing, and they're like looking at the refs because they felt something. They don't call themselves out, and they don't call for a paint check, but they're kind of looking around for the reactions of the refs to kind of dictate where they're going to go next. So it's like, dude, everybody plays it, man. And it's just sometimes you get <laughs> caught. Have so many kids cheating at the next tournament. <laughs> all these kids in divisions are going to go out and just start playing the gray all day. <laughs> but but the thing but the thing is is like this is what I'm trying to tell you. You know, we're trying to tell everybody is like people are going to play the gray no matter how honorable you are no matter how fucking you know uh spiritual or whatever the fuck you want to call it you're not going to be able to omit whatever you do or whatever that is onto somebody else because it's going to be i mean you can you can you can tell people about it but there's always going to be a bad guy there's always going to be a good guy you know you're always going to have players who are going to ride the line and then you're going to have these very um uh virtuous players who are just fucking you know i don't cheat i don't i don't i don't do anything it's like okay that doesn't mean that yeah. guy's not going to because it's going to happen so you i that's why I, I i'm very much adamant on telling people it's like man you know i i'm not going to say that i have it before and that i i i won't in the future or whatever it's just it's 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 just like you said like the scenario it's just it's all in what happens at the moment right and and how you go forward but it's not deciding to willingly cheat is not going to progress your play. And it's not going to make you look cool because you got rid of a hit. Because I'm telling you, yeah. I'm telling you the, the, the repercussions of getting caught um, in, in almost every scenario very much outweigh uh, the, the good side or, the, or not the good side, the, um, the other side of of cheating i i guess so another way i could put it is i i don't really feel guilty all the time if i if i get away with it i know i I don't feel bad about it (laughs) but Mm -hmm. i would never i hate the risk that it could put on my team yeah in practice i think cheating's you know unacceptable Mm -hmm. and i would i would get mad if you're cheating in practice you know you should be getting out on bounces especially hard bounces yeah um in a tournament, though, it's you got to think of the the whole team, and I don't think it's worth it most of the time. But yeah, it's a skill you acquire over time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> and, and that's the, the thing; it's way. not gonna just because you don't cheat doesn't mean other people are gonna start not cheating. You know, or, you know, like other exactly. players aren't gonna try and win at any cost. And exactly. that's that's what that's what you face at the highest level, and you know you're gonna face it no matter how virtuous you are. And it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, um. You're, you know, you're going to face it and whatever happens, uh, you know, happens. I just, I don't encourage it, but you can't stop yeah, it. I think just for like the divisional guys listening, um, you know, it's not just always like a simple wipe or, uh, just a, a simple example, like playing the gray. It can be much more intricate and there's ways that I think if you're the guy that shot somebody, Mm-hmm. That you could indicate, you know, in, influence a ref to make a decision. Uh, some it's not always yelling at the guy. Uh, it could like I've just I've seen it before where so and so's body language definitely made the ref decide to do X Y Z. Right. And any divisional guys, you got to pick up on that. And you can even note also like where the refs are standing. 
where is the spot on the field that refs really can't see mm-hmm. where the grade could be played? All these little factors should be uh, noted at a tournament. Um, like, for example, on the Derula penalty that we were just talking about, one ref saw Derula get shot, Chad's in the snake, no ref is even nearby to see if Chad gets shot. Yeah. So who do you think is going to get the penalty? Mm-hmm. And that should, you know, I don't think Derula even played the gray, but that's just an example of how maybe Chad made a reaction, right, and and got the penalty thrown. So there's just a lot of subtle things that uh, throughout the game that you can influence on the ref's behavior. Yeah. And that gets really complicated. <laughs> Paintball <laughs> is not a game of honor. It's a game of angles. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get, I play, you know, I play honorably. Like I, I try and, and go out there and do my best, but just because you do doesn't mean the guy behind you is going to do that. Yeah. And yeah, certainly in practice, I mean, you got to play hundred percent. I play bounces or at minimum I'll go tell them, Oh yeah. You know, Hey, you bounced me off break or you nicked me. And I think that's, that's the way to do the, the practice, right? 100% 100% because uh, you know and I say this and cheating in practice too dude if if you're cheating in practice like I I try not to even get mad at that from my perspective because I know what I'm doing right and if yeah. if you want to cheat that only means you're trying to cover up your shitty play so it's like yes. so fine dude do it I don't give a shit even if you don't even let me know that I bounced you, I don't care. Like I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna play. I'm still gonna do what I'm supposed to do. Um, but from the other player's standpoint, like if you were going to cheat at practice, all you're doing is rest- is restricting yourself from getting better. Yeah, the best teams, I think, operate pretty transparently, and it's okay to admit that you got bounced, or you know, if if you get bounced going to the corner, just get out. Mm-hmm. Because we're collecting statistics, we need to. If we think we're making corner all weekend and we don't make a one time in, in a, a tournament, that kind of blows your cover there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you're probably getting bounced all practice both weekends. Um, you know, we should have known this, and now here we are, and our bread and butter play isn't working. So, as much as it may sound cool, oh, I didn't get shot off break all weekend. On impact, we play. I mean, we'll we'll pull ourselves out on bounces. And we'll even mention, hey, I got nicked or there was heat going here. So we can start trying to play the field more realistically. Yeah. Just because it makes you look better for a second, it's going to end up hurting your team, I think, a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks a lot better if you play clean and you shoot everybody rather than – because, dude, we, you know when you bounce somebody. It's like one of those things, mm-hmm. especially like norm, for the most part, you have guys that are standing on the sidelines anyway who aren't playing that point, who are watching everything. So – Obviously, the honest practices are the better practices. In the tournament, do whatever mm-hmm. the fuck you want. But it's like getting to that point is so crucial. Yep, I agree. So, man, how, is it, how does it feel to be the MVP of the tournament, the most valuable <laughs> paintballer? It's, it definitely was, it feels amazing. It's like a dream come true, to be honest. It is a dream come true. Um, it's something, you know, I worked – been doing the sport for 18 years played pro paintball for 10 or 11 years now and it's just it's always been a box i've wanted to check not necessarily mvp but like first pro win Mm -hmm. i i that was the same you know this was my first pro win and mvp two birds one stone 
yeah, I didn't like. Ex- I didn't really expect the MVP really until like kind of the, the four on one. I was like, all right, that is just a, thank you, God. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that just fell in my lap. But uh, no, it just it, it feels awesome. And the way I see it though is like, are you a, a, a one trick pony? Or are you going to go back and do it again? Right. So I I want to you know that. The game never ends, guys. The game never ends. If you, <laughs> you win a tournament, it's like for me, it's the next. You know, it's, you got to win another one. You got to keep performing at a high level and being consistent. So that's the goal. I mean, it's it's definitely like an amazing feeling. But um, I'm just I'm excited for the next tournament and just to get back on the field with the guys. So it doesn't the MVP and the win doesn't just happen because of like one person. Mm-hmm. Um, we the whole team was firing on all cylinders. Fuzzy was behind me, and Nick was behind me, and Derulo was behind me, just you know supporting me, shooting a lot of people. <laughs> I think sometimes yep. you know Richard, the, t- the webcast, like you know thinks it's me. Oh, probably it might be Fuzzy behind me or one of the guys behind me. So really, like it was, it's very much a team effort, and and uh, I'm I am thankful that they gave me that award. Pretty pumped. Yeah, dude, it's it's definitely well deserved, and I've always told everybody that you know in the positions that we play, we can only do our job to the best of it of our abilities if everybody else is doing their job. You know what I mean? If, if yeah. as long as everybody else is doing their job above and beyond, then that's when we can go to work, and that's why everybody everybody assists, everybody assists everybody. So no matter who gets the most valuable, whatever it is, um, it's it's a team effort on, on, you know, from the top down. Yeah. Like the guys I play, played next to the entire tournament, they allowed me to, to play the game that fit me well for this layout. Mm-hmm. I could play the options. I could play slow. There's points where I said, I'm going to be in that 50 or in their snake within 10 seconds. And whatever it was, whatever tempo I wanted to play, you know, the guys behind me, fuzzy, whoever would be playing right to the tempo that I was trying to play. It's a two-man effort uh, or a team effort on every single point. So, uh, this this was one of those tournaments where I really felt like I got in the groove with some of those some of the guy, the guys supporting behind me. Mm-hmm. And we've you know I'm new on the team still. It's my first year, and we're just learning how each other play. You know, Fuzzy and I can you know I played a lot with Fuzz, and I think initially communication was kind of tough for us, or or like what's his tempo, what's he like to get into in a point. And he understood kind of how I wanted to play it, and, and it felt good. I mean, really, the whole tournament felt good on the field. We felt in control, and we yeah. all felt on the same page. There wasn't any chaos, it didn't feel like. Yeah. Chaos is no bueno when it comes to, like, a smaller roster. <laughs> You're running. Oh, yeah. You can't we, have any of that. We were talking about that, too. I mean, it's like uh, it can be on-the-field chaos, off-the-field chaos, or just like even just gelling on the same page. And mm-hmm. I like to, to play a slow point, you know, and, and, and really connect with everybody. I don't even care if we win the slow point. We need to be firing on all cylinders in sync. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to do that enough this tournament to where, like, there were a couple of matches where we kind of, the tempo, we didn't start off running or we, we lost the first point. Um, but very quickly, we were able to establish that that group momentum, and I think that came with kind of playing a bit slower. Yeah. So we definitely minimized chaos as the best we could. What? Because uh, you just got picked up this year, you you and Derulo, right? This year for mm-hmm. for Impact. What has been? 
what has been the biggest difference going from Revo to Impact? Because last year, if I remember right, uh, you guys were doing well. You were making Sundays. You were uh, the team seemed like it was gelling. It just you guys couldn't get over that hump, right? That that late Sunday hump. It felt like. Um, yeah. What What do you think that biggest difference is between the between making that that jump for you and Darula, and what are the differences? Oh yeah. So, I mean, I think about this a lot. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of late night flights and. You always are kind of like piecing together the journey that you're on, and because uh, I'm sure you would have loved to win with your boy, you know, you know, win with Revo. Yeah, I thought we had last year Chicago. I mean, I think that that was ours to win. Mm-hmm. And I, we 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 beat Impact. We knocked them out. We knocked Heat out. We just ran out of gas. Um, I thought Revo had a, a lot of the components kind of put together um, to to be able to win. Impact, I really do think, is like. It's just an incredible group of players that are, uh, number one, extremely talented individually, but also can play uh, real with each other and be transparent and be honest. And it doesn't seem like there's a, like we're competing for spots necessarily, or, uh, it's just a, it's a good culture. Dave and, and Bart do a great job at like instilling this winning culture and in, in impact. And it's definitely like the first couple of tournaments. It was, I mean, on on Revo and, and on previous teams, I think like Darul and I and have always kind of been uh, helping with game plans or, or or very much part of the core of the team. And this is one where you're kind of at the bottom of the roster at first. You're just getting to know everybody. Um, so like witnessing how impact works from you know, on and off the field was something that we really had to like get used to very structured, uh, very unique culture. And like I said, everybody on the team is, is there to support the team. I don't think anyone really gets upset if they're riding the bench. Um, it's, but oftentimes you see on these good teams, like, you know, there's a, a lot of competition for playing time or, there can be some some tough, uh, you know, tough feelings if, if someone's not, you know, performing as mm-hmm. they should or, or getting the getting the opportunity that they should. So overall, I'm just I'm really impressed that you have this many good guys on a team that can uh, are really good friends, really good players, and are doing putting in what's best for the team overall. It's it's something unique to see if you ever get to go like kind of watch the pits. I think the impact pits are pretty unique compared to other pits of top teams mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's the the amount of professionalism i have always been impressed with with uh with impact from from day one getting to know bart uh bringing in dave and just seeing that program grow uh i've always been impressed on on how they've approached uh becoming and maintaining a winning status and it's just it's really cool to see and and it doesn't matter uh you know kind of what iteration of player uh comes in i feel like they i mean players get weeded out here and there but it just seems like ones who have very similar mindsets who have uh just oh oh oh, oh that ability to adapt and that ability to take direction from top level players while being one themselves uh, is is so key and they 
they do such a good job of of snagging talent i feel talent that can not only play the game really well but has a great team mentality if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense i i agree completely and i guess one other like you know thing to add to this topic is from the outside looking in at impact and like what i thought it was or it could be before i was on the team uh it definitely like i completely like going on the inside now it's like wow this is very much very different than what i thought it was or what my uh, assumptions were initially uh, I just think the culture is really cool, really unique, uh, really healthy for a winning organization. I think a lot of the, the success of Impact comes from the foundation that's built. And that's, you know, Bart and Dave and and uh, probably anybody that's played for the team would, would, would I think, would say the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's a I think it's a great program. I think you fit in well, uh, obviously. Um, Thank you. And. I think that, you know, what you guys have over there, getting J Rab back, getting getting Mouse back, uh, obviously helps. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, that the the program is a winning program, regardless of who's on the team, um, and no matter who they pick up, it's always just gonna it's always gonna help. Yeah, and like looking on other teams to play it on. <clears throat> We're just watching other teams. Like with Revo, I thought we had an awesome mix of guys. I thought we could win a tournament. But, you know, it's not like we – it's hard to have the winning mentality when you really haven't won that much as a group together. And I think all the guys on Revo are winners. I think they can – I mean, they're all very good players. Um, but just it, – it's definitely a big change from the expectations at impact. You know, and and the professionalism at Impact, and it's just when I was even on like Katana, you know, back in the day, it's we don't we don't know what we don't know, and we don't we don't know how to be that professional organization. So really, I just think there's a lot of magic with how Impact's been built, and just proud to uh, to get an offer and to play, you know, the tournaments that I played, and if I can keep playing in the future, that's great. <laughs> I, don't, I can't speak for the future, but it's I just appreciate everything that it's been so far. Yeah. What do you see? Uh, what do you see happening in the future with paintball, or what, what would you like to see kind of start to? Uh, in what direction would you like to see it go? Or as far as the competitive side goes, do you think? We, do you think we stay the X ball route? I don't even like saying X ball because I feel like it's not X ball. It's just like five man. Uh, it's like comp- it's like accelerated five man. I don't know why I don't like it, the term X ball. I feel like it's just, it's just it's paintball, right? And X ball just doesn't, it just that whatever. That's my yeah. There is an I know what you mean. Um, I think the progression of the sport, just if we zoom out a bit and look, you know, a couple of decades, it's been growing in a pretty good direction. Like certainly there were some really fun, unique times, you know, five years ago, ten years ago. Every it was different, but in terms of uh, taking the sport more mainstream and uh, you know bring, bringing more athleticism uh, traditional like uh, sport aspects into the into the game I think we're heading that direction mm-hmm. and I think talent is a continuing to explode I think I mean if you look around the divisionals of the pro league there's just so many people uh, that are 
you know, coming up in the game and that are really talented. So I think in general, paintball's heading in the right direction. Um, I mean, and I don't know how many years I, th- I want to see it as an Olympic sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of other Olympic sports out there. I'd love to see it grow to that level. And with that, I think what's helping is a lot of the social media is helping. Of course, you know, I think like Trevor Reeser had, you know, a clip that hit over a million or maybe more than that. There's been another clip recently. And uh, there's definitely a lot of attraction to the action of the sport. And if we can continue documenting that, there's always been someone documenting it and creating the history. Mm-hmm. You know, if we look, what was that one uh, magazine that came out? It was like a booklet, a limited release booklet. Did you hear about this? Yeah, the famous the booklet. Yeah. Oh, the, the yeah, I, the history. I think it was, I thought it was famous. That's what, well, there that's was what it was called. Yeah, there was that, and then there was a documentary too on the history of paintball. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. See, I think all of that, like, there's a lot of people that paved the story over the years, and the, the people doing it today, I mean, that's going to continue, like, writing the history books in the future. So the direction it's heading, I am pretty pumped about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's it's, it's definitely a, a good question to ask. I don't have the perfect answer <laughs> yeah. for you. What I, what I will tell you is that I'm here to enjoy the ride as long as I can, um, paintball has been fun ever since I started playing and as much as it's fun on a daily basis I think it's just fascinating to be a part of a sport that that is growing that is changing and uh whose future is kind of unwritten we don't quite know where it's going to go what what are your thoughts what do you think um I think just I think paintball is a blast uh you know no matter what iteration I think it's I think it's great I mean that's the whole one of the biggest reasons why I'm I'm back playing who knows for how long, uh, but I, I think the more popular, I think if anything happens, I think they're going to get rid of split deck, slowly but surely. But I think that the more popular the sport becomes, the more cemented in the structure becomes. So I think I think the less changes are going to happen, the more popular the sport gets. Because I agree with that. Yeah, it's like you, we're, like we're getting more refined right now. Mm-hmm, the yeah, decade, I think. So I think it's going to stay f- five man, the way it's set up with the but. I think it's going to stay very much structured and formatted the same. Um, the more popular it gets, I think there's just going to be kind of small iterations here and there, uh, because I don't think we want to necessarily overcomplicate it. Uh, and, and change something that we've been... Because I think this is the longest... This has got to be the longest we've ever gone playing a single format. I mean, I, I can't... Yeah, yeah. When did... Uh, let's see. Well, what was the the other format? was the Seven Man, and that was like 13 or something yeah. like that is when it ended. So... I mean, it's been how long? So I think it's just gonna. I think it's gonna stay the same. There's small things that are gonna change here and there, but uh, nothing major. Yeah, and it's still. I like that's not taking excite, excitement out of it because I think yeah. it's like this is the direction we should be heading. Um, everything, like every technology or business or if in like sport in the grand scheme of things, has this like growth cycle to it. And yeah, we went through this very interesting like different formats phase you know in the 90s and 
two thousands. And as we get more refined, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's going to attract some very interesting attention, uh, money to the sport, talent to the sport. For a while, I was concerned that maybe young kids weren't getting as involved, you know, in, in the sport. But I don't. That was a thought that went through my head, you know, maybe five years ago. But I don't. I don't think that today. All the time, I see young kids that are getting involved, and and uh, I'm I I remain very bullish on like the future of paintball. I think it's going to be around for a very long time. Yeah. If anything, I'd like to see more fields pop up. I mean, which could be happening. Yeah. I don't know, but I would love to see more fields. Uh, more field openings and more more uh, more tournament fields opening up because I, we know that mm-hmm. recreational play is what gets people in. But I mean, what what's what's I think also key for the competitive side is to have smaller regional leagues happening, having having fields with with uh, with bunkers. But here's here's also what I'm what I'm going to say on top of that. In order for those competitive players, those those ex-ball players, to be able to work with the fields and and get discounts like they want and do all these things, you have to be willing to not only put the blood, sweat, and tears into getting better as a player, but as a team, you have to come to terms with also refing some tournaments, cleaning off bunkers, uh uh, cleaning fields, doing what you can to appease those field owners because they're also going to want to help you out too. And it, it's this whole yes. thing where it's, it's a fucking carousel. It's, you know, you get on and you ride, but you have to pay to get on the ride. And you, the, the ride isn't free. And you have to be able to sacrifice a half hour, 45 minutes in the morning of getting halfway dressed and blowing up your own field, gritting it to give yourself yep. the best opportunity out there, um, cleaning the bunkers when you're done, uh, just just the small things really, really mm-hmm. pop out Excuse me, to a field owner or to anybody else there who's paying attention. And I think those yeah. small things not only help you out as a team, but as an individual, um, it really shows your integrity as someone who wants to become better and also progress the sport and and help the field grow and help the players uh who are out there um be able to play in the in the best kind of scenario yeah i mean i'm sure you did that for years and that was the norm for me like growing up since i was 12 we were always good in fields blowing them up cleaning them down i had refed a ton of tournaments um you know, and we were like the D1 team at the time, refing the lower division tournaments. And all of that, I think, kind of feeds into this important culture. I'm in Chattanooga, and I do notice that this culture is actually kind of coming. It's almost it's been a revival in the past couple of years. A lot of people that I started playing with, you know, 15 years ago, uh, they're back in the sport, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a much different time in their life. But they're going to the fields, they're... Oh, what are you saying? I'm, oh, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm back in it, and I've, you know, you're seeing all these people come out of the woodwork. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, even guys – I'm talking about guys that have stopped playing for 10, 10 or more years and, oh, yeah. and uh, just bought a new gun to come out there. But I, I do notice that the culture still exists. There are guys going out to fields, blowing it up, blowing fields up, cleaning them down, 
um, being part of the community. And if you're listening and you're not, you know, you're not doing this now, I'd encourage you to try. I think it's when you're going to really build some strong relationships. Those relationships are going to open doors, bring opportunity. Um, that's definitely, you know, doing those things. And they're not always fun <laughs> mm-hmm. by any means, but you're building a relationship with these guys that, you know, you're playing a sport with. And uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's something that I even look back on those moments and it all had its purpose in my journey. Yeah. So, and even even if you want to be selfish and do it for yourself, do it do it to grow your own character. You know, it's like hold the door for somebody. You know, it's it's not like it, I'm not doing it because I feel like I have to do it. I feel like it's just the thing that should be done. You know, and something like that where a team or a field owner is giving you the opportunity to practice at their facility, you could at least you know you're going to be shooting the shit out of everything there, so you might as well like help the process yeah definitely i think you know speaking for like tournament players we in general can be slightly disrespectful <laughs> to some fields you know we bit. show up because <laughs> of the most damage sometimes and we're tired at the end of the day and just go home um and that's not necessarily where they make the most of their money so you know too they make money off church groups and sports camps and mm-hmm. just understanding how a paintball business works um you know, they're really doing, they really deserve some more respect from tournament players. Um, and that's something I, I, you know, I try to work on as well. So, yeah, good point. That's a good point to bring up. We have a new field coming up here in Chattanooga. Uh, my home field, Insane Paintball. Those guys, I mean, from day one helped support me and gave me the opportunities that I had. And they're now upgrading to a new facility and, starting to build some of the fields and I've been of course doing the paintball thing for the past couple of weekends, but I want to go out there and help. And also when they launch, come check it out in Chattanooga. It's supposed to be awesome. Hell yeah. Awesome. So it's good to see, you know, new fields popping up or just they, these guys upgrade their facility. It's going to be like 25 acres, which is, I mean, a really big deal in Chattanooga. So I think it's, it's looking good. Damn. I'd love to come out and see it, man. I, I, I'd love to get back in into where I'm like traveling around doing some clinics. I would Let's love, to, I would love to do, I would love to do live podcasts. Like, I think that would be sweet. Like coming to fields and doing like a, um, doing a clinic in the morning and, and, and during the, the, uh, the early morning and everything. And then later that day, set up like a podcast with you know another pro there or something like that and then have do like a a, a, the live podcast with like the the people who maybe wanted to stay or anybody who wants to come in and just fucking chime in or just listen in or whatever i think that would be cool yeah we can we can do that in chattanooga it's coming down we have to hit the lake in the afternoon that's the only thing mandatory we we could do the podcast from the lake maybe that's that sounds that sounds (laughs) terrible (laughs) i love to man That'd be great. Come on down. It's uh, have you been to Chattanooga? God, I think there was a tournament there once. Um, wasn't there a PSP there a few years? There back? was a in Nashville. There was a yeah, an XLR PSP. Yeah, never then. Um, uh, no, never to Chattanooga. We need. I would love to have one in like Tennessee or or like Atlanta. Have there has there ever been one in Atlanta? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I could be wrong. We'll add that to the recommendation list. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> <That's pretty long. laughs> oh man. Well, hey, dude, I don't want to keep you too much. I, I, 
I appreciate the hell uh, out of you coming on here and and kind of just shooting the shit with me. And it's it's great to kind of hear your mindset on things and your, and your take on things. And um, I'm I'm excited to see you play and and to play against you uh, in the future. And it's cool that you and Darula both came over and uh, kind of how you guys are are gelling and mending with um, with the Impact guys. And it's it's kind of cool to see your journey and hearing where you came from and everything and, and kind of where you're at now it's it's a great pleasure to watch you play man thank you and i said it to start off the the whole podcast man i've looked up to you for years that's awesome to see you this involved in the sport um i'm looking forward to the next tournament maybe i get to beat that ass a little bit you never know bring it <laughs> on baby. back to you <laughs> give it back to you a little bit because i'm sure you've served me served me up a few times but yeah i really appreciate the opportunity and uh see you in chicago Absolutely, man. Safe travels. And uh, do you want to give a, uh, a shout out to any of your sponsors or where can people find you or ask you any questions or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. So sponsors would be uh, HK, uh, Planet Eclipse. I shoot the new LV2. It is awesome. Absolutely love it. Um, new Balance. I do like the cleats a lot. Um, we have, uh, of course, Bart Yakimak. The whole Impact organization is awesome. I do have a, a new shout out on the list. Um Sacred Vibes headbands. This guy just sent me some headbands today. Hey. Pretty sweet. So uh, you'll see me rocking these. And thank you again, Sacred Vibes, for the for the headgear. Um, am I missing anything? Missing any on that? <laughs> that's hard. Uh, I think you're I good. Think that's, I think that's a good list. Um, I am on Instagram at m.zupa. You can find the whole list of sponsors on there and, and kind of follow the impact story. So thank you all for the support. And everyone's on their own journey and everyone should enjoy every day of it <laughs> oh yeah absolutely man i'm excited to see you in chicago and uh i can't wait thank you hey have a good evening you too take care of yourself you too see ya later mike zupa everybody thank you sir it was a pleasure talking with you and good luck for the rest of the season i can't wait to see everybody at the events and chicago is around the corner everybody it is right there there uh i'm excited i'm giddy <laughs> to get out there but um but yeah can't wait and uh, another big shout out bobby miss you brother and yeah everybody out there thank you so much for listening please keep your eyes on the road and listen to podcasts like this one don't text and drive that's bad don't do that we'll see you again here soon on the playing on podcast peace H2K paintball.